Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. My guest today is Jamie Klingler, writer, activist and speaker and campaigner for women's safety as co-founder of Reclaim These Streets. This is part two of this conversation and we're discussing her activism work, how Reclaim These Streets came about, how it started, how to show up and how to make change. The group began as a collective of women organising a vigil for Sarah Everard and for all the women who feel unsafe, have been lost to violence, who go missing from our streets and who face violence every day. They campaign, hold vigils, rally together volunteers, they speak and act on women's safety and even recently took on the Met Police. They aim to use legislation, education and community action to ensure no woman has to be asked to text me when you get home ever again. I will leave more details in the show notes for more information and huge thanks again to Jamie for coming on the podcast to talk about this and her important work with Reclaim These Streets. So here is the conversation. And if you haven't checked out part one, then go back and listen to that first. I hope you enjoy this conversation. So, Jamie, I want to talk to you about Reclaim These Streets. I was actually in Oxford the other day in a tiny little pub in the middle of nowhere. And a woman was talking about you and Reclaim the Streets. And you know, when you're just like sat in a tiny little place and you're like, this has traveled far. So that's cool. It, that Wow, that is. And, um, and w- when I was at Wilderness with friends, like people were coming up to me and I haven't been in public for most of this so like we were at um asma khan's cookbook launch the other day and sadiq khan came in and hugged me and i was like oh my god he knows who i am let's start at the beginning i read that it started on twitter and it was actually came from a tweet would you be able to talk about that in march of 2020 when sarah everard went missing i um had tweeted that Really, it was a pretty innocuous tweet that just we deserve to get home and that my private WhatsApps were blowing up and that my heart was breaking for her family. But it, it didn't really say much, but it got like 600,000 impressions. On the back of that tweet was like, I'm going to do a vigil. So I ran an events company and I had worked in women's magazines. So this was something I knew how to do. And I was living alone and they had told women the only way that they could keep themselves safe was to stay indoors and stay in their own homes. And we were already locked down. And so I was just... I hadn't hugged my best friend. I hadn't hugged anybody. I hadn't been around anybody that was as angry, upset as I was. And they had arrested Wayne Cousins, a serving Metropolitan Police Officer, the day before. Um, And I knew how to do this. I knew how to provide that space. And I I wanted to do something. So I emailed the police and I emailed the council. And then I tweeted that I was going to do a vigil. And then a couple of journalists were like, oh, local women are doing one, too. We had a really quick phone call. One of the girls had come to my one of my London book clubs back in the day. And so we joined forces and they were um, in the same process, but two of them were counselors. So they'd already gone to the police and the council. And so all hands on deck, I deleted the first tweet and then we went from there. Um, it happened like lightning speed. So that was Wednesday night, Thursday morning. I got a PA system. I'd ordered um, a thousand tea lights because you weren't allowed to have fire on Clapham Common. And then at 1.30 on when or Thursday, sorry, 1.30 on Thursday, uh, Scotland Yard got involved and said, absolutely not, that because of COVID restrictions, we could not go forward. And up until then, Lambeth police were like, obviously, it's against restrictions, but we'll find a way. And then the other thing that happened on Twitter, like, is we found human rights lawyers. So uh, Adam Wagner um, and Tom Hickman. So very funny, like, 
people trying to date on Twitter. You can find human rights lawyers. You can find all signs. <laughs> so um, very quickly on Thursday, we ended up raising 37,000 pounds and going to the high court that Friday. I was one of the claimants. And, and it all went from there. Like by the police antagonizing and trying to silence us, they brought more publicity to it. Then we raised the money really quickly. We all did um, our statements and all that. We went into court at 3.30 on on Friday. But in the background, we still had to be ready in case court said we could go ahead. So we're still trying to organize all that. And it was just chaos. The court said you can go ahead if the police give you the parameters within which you're allowed. We went to the negotiating table with Scotland Yard. And we were like, we can do one to four and four to eight. We can have moving memorial lines. Like, how do we do this? Even if you tell us we're only allowed 30 people, you have to tell us. They basically said they would look the other way between 6 and 7 p.m., but that they wouldn't put anything in writing and that it was still going to be unlawful. Um, they threatened us with 10,000 pounds in fines each and prosecution under the Serious Crimes Act multiple times. Um, and so, like, in the background, you know me, me on the phone to my dad being like, all right, I'm getting arrested. Mm. Um and what really happened is we ended up going to another meeting with the nine of us. One of our barristers, Pippa Woodrow, who I adore, was in there. And um, we went around the room and Hannah Shaw, who is like, I've never seen moderation like it. Like she was incredible at making sure everybody's highlights and what was important to them was was really listened to and then moving on. And, and like the vote, what I thought was going to be 12 angry men was really some of the most conscientious debating that I've ever, ever taken part in. Wow. And where we got to halfway through was at that table, we knew whether or not we wanted to get arrested. Some people were crying. Well, everyone was crying. But there were there were fears about parliamentary passes. There were fears about um, citizenship and deportation. It was, it was scary. Um, the threats were really – like, that's the part that I don't think comes across is just how much we felt like our lives were on the line. It's, it's actually wild. And I remember feeling like I'm always going to remember this. I just know I'm going to look back and go, oh, my God, there was a time when the Met Police pinned down women for having a vigil for a woman who was murdered by a Met Police officer. We weren't allowed to have the space to grieve. Traumatizing. Outside. Outside. A traumatizing experience for all women to have even just read the news. And so this is the Friday night before that deciding if we were going to go ahead. And at that point, we were like, look, us showing up doesn't change. Like, the, that's it's happening. Um, but rather than us paying what would have been, because there were 32 different venues that were going to do vigils, that would have been £320,000 in fines. And rather than giving that money to the Met or to other police forces, we decided to pivot and fundraise. And... So just so people understand the fines, that was because of the lockdown, right? Yeah. So it was £10,000 in fines as organizers. So there were 32 venues. So venues, locations where we were going to have vigils um, that local people were doing that we didn't know about, that we just heard about on Twitter and on social. But so that's where we decided that was going to be our hook for fundraising. But we didn't know where the money was going to go yet because we had no intention of raising money. But so on Saturday morning, I went on Jenny Kleeman's Times Radio show and announced that we would not be attending and we were canceling. So by us canceling and telling people to fundraise instead, our legal liability went down. We knew people were going to go anyway. And so both things happened and we ended up raising 550,000 pounds for Rosa's Stand With Us Fund. Wow. Wow. It's just amazing how many people got behind that. I mean, what happened with the court case then? Because it it was in the press that you won that. And then a few days later... 
they appealed. Yeah. So actually, at the time, they said to give us the parameters. The police sent out a press release saying they'd won and it was unlawful. So that then it went ahead with Patsy Stevenson and with women going. And then the police outrageously manhandled women at a protest about a police officer killing a woman. Um, And so then... What would have been done, like on Sunday morning, had the police just let us go ahead, there would have been five five crews there with video cameras. We would have had a moment of silence. We would have gone home and our lives would have gone back to normal. But because they antagonized and because they aggressively policed the women there, it blew up and became a, an international story. Um, on the Monday, we met with Cressida Dick and I asked point blank, knowing what you know now and seeing what you saw, what would you do differently? She said absolutely nothing. Like, she used the word nothing. Wow. Like, no learnings, no, you know. And so what then happened, because of the way and because of the violence of how they aggressively policed it, it blew up. And then we were kind of put into the spotlight and given this platform to talk about women's safety. And that has lasted a year. Um, And the back of that, at the beginning, they were like, we were getting calls every time that anybody was... um, assaulted or raped and like I was getting called for comment on rapes and I was like I will always just say it's horrible like I can't my life can't just be taking calls about rapes all the time because I I'm not trained for this but the thousands and thousands of women that gave us their stories and and talked to us about it and the number of interviews and and all of a sudden it was figuring out what our purpose was and and we were really talking about women in public spaces so using education, community action, and legislation to ensure women don't need to text me when you get home. Mm-hmm. Um, and and really, it's it became a year of service, and it became a year of working with Mina Smallman about her daughters, Biba and Nicole, and doing a vigil there, and, and, and learning how little women of color are covered on newspapers when when they are the victims, and how, how different that looks when women of color aren't given headlines, you know? Yeah. It feels like there is a wider cultural shift, hopefully, into the fact that that women shouldn't have to have like a tool belt of equipment, like the the contraptions that cover your bottle in a nightclub or the rape alarm or, you know, not going out at certain times. Like it's all put on the woman. Everything's put onto that individual woman when the system itself needs to change. Absolutely. And then the conversation has definitely shifted. And instead of it being women at 2 a.m. telling their sexual assault stories to each other, a lot more is talked about at dining room tables. And it feels like at three o'clock in the afternoon, you can talk about that somebody yelled something at you and and our partners know more about it. And we're I think that, that the national conversation has definitely changed. But the promises about making misogyny a hate crime and the promises about spend have not changed. Mm-hmm. You've got the government talking about giving $50 million to 888 for another app to track us. Like, by the time I'm dialing 888, I'll be dead. You know, and and this whole idea that 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 wouldn't be corrupted the way track and trace because track and trace was so brilliant. You know, like the idea that we have to give our our data to somebody to then track us to then call nine 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 because nine 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 isn't fit for purpose. Like the logic, but it's also, like adding stuff oh. on rather than looking at the root of the problem. I mean, I've never worked in activism. I think what you're doing is incredible. Do you have to like pick your battles in this space? Do you have to be like, this is our one focus or our three focuses rather than take on this what, wielding problem? Absolutely. Because a lot of it, there are moments that it feels like a drop in the ocean. Like I, uh, the weekend that Wayne Cousins was sentenced was very, very painful, especially because the Met released the detail that Sarah Everard had been handcuffed. And 
And that just killed us. Like, and also that the Met knew that for six months and didn't enact anything that actually dealt with that. And then they were talking about running for buses and they were talking about all this other stuff that was irrelevant about fake officers and FaceTiming. And it was all these red herrings rather than what had actually happened. And and rather than addressing that if they had stopped him when he was flashing, this was all very avoidable. If they had stopped him when colleagues called him the rapist, this was all avoidable. But it's all this, let's let's look over here so you miss what's happening here. Let's not talk about the fact that 1.7% of rapes are prosecuted, you know? And, and me talking about prison reform and talking about police reform, like I had no, I, it took me six months to even call myself an activist because that felt like a big hat and that felt like important people that, that go to meetings and go to protests. And, and I'm, I'm literally was just a woman that was too furious and and had to stand up because I was just too angry. Like I boiled over and I had a lot more time because I ran an events company that wasn't functioning and I wasn't drinking. So I had all of this fire and I had all of this skill and I stood up and was counted. But it, but it's been painful and it's been painful to learn about everything that's gone on in the and to learn how how thick my rosé blanket was and how little I did leading up to this year. But now now I I work my ass off, mm. and and actually that is important to say that your skills and events. It's no coincidence that you are very good at arranging a vigil at the last minute. You have those skills, and that's really inspiring because I think people who are like, oh, actually, I want to make change and I want to do a bit of activism or whatever that looks like. Lots of people have transferable skills. Absolutely, and 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 like time management or coding skills. Like one one of the things because I've done a bunch of speeches now about activism, and it's like. If you've got me for three hours and you want to clean up a beach, using me for three hours to go actually clean up the beach is probably the worst option. Using me to organize a bunch of people to clean up or excite people about cleaning up a beach is where my calm skills and my ability to get out there and get on the press, that's what you want to use. Whereas if you're somebody that is really good on understanding efficiency, the women's shelter near where you're at and talking to them about how they use their time and how they use their computer systems and where people spend that energy could save them a thousand hours a year because of your expertise. And that's not where I come in, but that's where I can learn. And that's the thing, like the women from Reclaim These Streets, we hadn't met in person because of the corona restrictions. Like we didn't meet until six weeks after or four weeks after the vigil, which was crazy, like bonds forged by fire. But like the fact that we weren't these like rule flouting people, but the way the court case comes back into it is if they said that there wasn't a blanket ban of protest and that's what they were standing by, there was absolutely they were enacting a blanket ban of protest. And if you're not letting for middle class, people in government, like very, you know, if you're not letting us protest, who are you letting protest? Which is why we continued with the case, even though the actual nub of it was gone. Mm. Um, So we had to raise a bunch of money, which was probably the hardest part of anything I've ever done in my life. Mm. Um, People don't know that I grew up pretty poor. And me going hat in hand and asking people to help fundraise this when it was no longer sexy, where it was no longer interesting, was a real, real problem for me when I also had an events company that wasn't working. Mm. So, like, for the first time in my life, I felt really, really poor. And I felt like I was asking them to give me money, even though the money wasn't coming to me. And I had all this complicated turn about that. But we got it over the line. And part of the reason I fought so hard to get it over the line is there was a document from DAC Twist that said that the biggest risk of us holding the vigil was not about women getting corona. It was about um, reputational risk for the Met. Mm. 
They struck an old, an own goal there. Oh my God, like they couldn't have done it worse. It was like a PR nightmare oh for them in terms of everything that came out of their mouth, like even the kind of a bad apple oh my uh, phrase about about that. And I, I'm just, it's almost like short-circuiting in my brain because it feels like such a big problem that sometimes you can feel really hopeless and really like, do you know what, I don't even know what to do, so I'm just going to like hide under a blanket. And actually what you're doing is showing that we all can do something and we have to put our rage somewhere. Right. And and that's the thing is like realizing that not only did I need that space, but that I could provide it yeah. and channeli- channeling the rage and anger. And like people think I've done tons and tons of TV. Well, I've done tons and tons of TV now. I've done like 400 interviews, but I had never been on camera prior to that week. You know, and that weekend I did 75, but it was like... Once once I had the women behind me giving me talking points, then I like I'm really good at it and I enjoy it. And I'm and I speak like an everyday woman because I am because I haven't grown up in these channels where I'm running for office. I'm never going to run for office. So I was able to use all of it. Um, And some of it's been really scary. I did the Cambridge debate on Her Majesty's force has lost or no, this house has lost confidence in Her Majesty's force. And I was terrified because I didn't think I was smart enough. I didn't think I was well-spoken enough because I'm from Philly. And actually, the first speech I did was awful. And then my best friend Gina and Ludo from Reclaim were like, and Gina was like, no one cares about the citations. Just talk about why you care. Yeah. And then it was amazing. That's because what people care about. Yeah. Because then you're getting the energy and you're getting, and all of us are angry. All of us have been sexualized since we were way too young, and all of us do the decision tree where we avoid conflict, we avoid going this way, we avoid men that way, we do this, we do that, and we do that every day, and it's tiring. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to talk about mindfulness. I don't have time to be mindfulness if I'm worrying about who's going to rob me mm-hmm. or who's going to assault me. Like, by the time I'm getting assaulted, I'm not worried about my property. I'm worried about if I'm going to get sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. And that is that is a pervasive fear that we live with from when we're, what, 10? It's exhausting. Exhausting. Oh my That's God. exactly the word. I mean, just just because I'm curious, I've been trying to work out my stance on how to protect myself, but also to be like, do you know what? I'm not going to let this ru- ruin my life, the fear and the exhaustion. And I know that Nell Frizzell, who's a brilliant writer, journalist, writes The Guardian a lot. She wrote something recently about, you know, I'm not going to let any of this stuff stop me from doing my 5 a.m. runs. And she, I mean, she runs through like dark woods and she's very like, you know, at one with nature and goes cold water swimming. And she was just like, I'm I'm going to camp if I want to camp on my own. You know, I'm not going to let fear stop me. And, oh my God, my heart just stopped. And, and you know, I'm not brave enough to do that. Um, I'm definitely not. But I kind of feel like... I don't want to be stopped doing the things I want to do in my life as a woman. I don't run as early as I would like to. And I no longer run on Sundays in Camden because you get the dregs of the night before and some scary stuff has happened. And I would get so worked up about about to do that that my therapist was like, just stop going on Sundays, which, again, doing that switch and and really being like, I don't have to run on Sundays because it's stressing me out and it's upsetting me and it's not worth the return. But one of the things that's really, really gotten much clearer to me this year about sexual assault is like we've gotten so, so far away from 
our own feelings about a situation. And like, if somebody is assaulted, we're thinking down the line of, would a jury believe me? Is this prosecutable in court? Not, were my boundaries crossed? And not, did this violate me? And whether that's your butt being grabbed or your breast being touched, and we're so far down the line of, oh, he's never going to get convicted for it, so there's no point, that the middle grounds and the nuances of when we're allowed to set boundaries, what consent looks like, what consent and boundaries look like for each individual person has really been lost. Mm-hmm. And and I think trusting young women and trusting our own guidelines and trusting our own boundaries needs to be reestablished in every area of our lives. And And one of the things the pandemic has definitely given me is rewriting my boundaries and rewriting my rules about how much time and effort and energy I can give to certain people and certain things, how much time and energy I give to a book I don't like, how much Mm -hmm. time and energy I give to a friend who's in destructive cycles. Um, and and again, for me, it's it's quite difficult with I, in our last one, we were talking about sobriety and not drinking. I can give some time, but I can't take anyone along on that journey because I, I don't have the capacity or the training. Mm-hmm. And actually learning that I'm not the right person to speak to about this and signposting and giving other options. But again, with women and with the work we do, a lot of people like tag me in awful situations that happen and ask me to jump in. And if there's stuff that I can offer that's that I can offer, I will. But I can't take on everybody's crusade because I I'm, I don't have that unlimited well. Yes, that's a really good point about saving your energy or doing the thing that works for you. Because for me, on that topic of safety, I have always, from a very young age, just removed myself from any sense of danger when I see it. Because on the tube, you know, when you're you're seeing someone or something start up, I will just get off at the next stop. I don't think we have enough conversations about our conservation of self because we do that without thinking Mm -hmm. 60 times a day. Yeah. Like I will go a different aisle in the supermarket. Like I do it all the time. And and we get all these messages about like, well, what about men? Men getting more altercations. Men are the victims more. Men are also part of those. And almost 100% of the time, men are instigating those situations. It's absolutely not all men, but it's a hell of a lot of men if 97% of women are being sexually harassed in public. And that's the other thing I think that gets missed a lot is when they that stat comes out about 97% of women. If 97% of us were harassed one time in our life and we had to live through that one situation, then we got to move about our days, we'd be fine. It's death by a thousand paper cuts. And that's the thing is like one of the things, the conversations that has been most shocking to my male friends is how many times I've been publicly masturbated to in my life and it's happened to all of us Mm -hmm. and and it is shameful and then we hide and we don't walk down that street again and we get all and and it's like men don't realize that that happens to us it's it's one of those things that people are like are you kidding that's sick and i'm like it's happened to everyone i know well that's the other side of this that i think has hopefully changed and it needs to change more is just men being more aware i think it's been interesting the amount of male friends and family members that i've just been able to say in black and white you do realise that we go through a hundred different thought processes for the one thing that you don't. Like I've got a family member who goes fishing in the middle of the night in the pitch black and just sits there and fishes on the beach. And I was like, oh, I've ne- I would never do that. And then there's someone who, in a creative book I read, and I think my tweet went viral about this, but um, this guy was like, oh, if you are struggling for ideas for your book, just go for a late night walk and like walk along the canal or, you know, it's lovely out. And it's just these conversations and like maybe... Maybe some men don't have any idea 
but we need to tell them and they need to be aware. So one of the things I was talking about a couple of weeks ago that really landed was the difference between being in a pub garden and someone hitting on me. And I can see my friends and I can see the bartender and I'm well within my rights to say yes or no and it's fine. Or coming out of a bathroom in Soho and I'm down the basement and a guy's on the steps, same guy, says exactly the same thing. And it's an entirely different scenario because he's my exit route. And that's when I have a fake husband who's waiting for me upstairs. That's when I'm placating him. And it's not that he will get violent, but you never know. And the flip of that switch and the danger of that switch is that we don't know. And and I'm single for the first time in 10 years and trying to like navigate dating again while talking about dead women all the time and while doing this work and meeting strangers is just a, like it's mm. a lot yes i can imagine that's that's a that's a whole minefield for you to navigate but it's a it's a win-win game like if women are safer men are happier women are happier we're not going on like when we go on first dates and we've got a oh what if he's a rapist or a murderer thought in our heads that's not a great way to meet somebody you know and and that's the thing is like if we're safer Everyone is experience is elevated. Everyone has a happier life, which mm-hmm. is kind of the goal is like, let's get happier. Let's get to a place where we're all just more cognizant of other people's experiences and we're, we're bringing people up for the ride. For sure. And that men hopefully would say that they care about women regardless if they have a sister or mother or daughter. Well, they would have a mother. But you know what I mean? It's always like, oh, I have daughters, so I care about this. It's like, you should care about it anyway. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing all of that. It's been really amazing watching everything that you've been doing and, and it's and it's growing and it's getting so much traction and you're making such real tangible change. So thank you so much. And for anyone listening who does want to get involved or wants to know more or, or even wants to play a little part or a big part in what you're doing, how can they get involved? A lot of this, I do think, happens at home. And I think it happens within within your neighborhoods and within where you live in your communities. I think our communities have all gotten much more important in the pandemic. So looking at um, different community organizations in your backyard is really the best place to start. And, and a lot more um, empowering because you actually see the change that you're helping get on with it, which is quite exciting. <laughs> 